This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. This is the Get Booked Podcast, a weekly show for personalized reading recommendations. This is episode 208, and we are recording on November 19th. I'm Jen Northington, and I'm here with Amanda Nelson, and we are coming to you from Book Riot and are in some disbelief about Thanksgiving being next week. How is that How is that possible? I am ready. Thanksgiving is my favorite, and I just want to eat a trash bag of collard greens. <laughs> like a full trash bag. <laughs> I'm here for that. I'm mostly here for the pie. Not going to lie. I'm a fan of pie. good. I'm in charge of dessert this year, which I just Ooh. remembered right this second. So I should probably <laughs> figure something out. <laughs> Note to self. <laughs> um, it's going to end up being me going to the grocery store and buying a pie. That's what's going to happen. I mean, that's dessert. It is. That you're done. I have fulfilled my obligation. That's right. That's right. You're welcome. <laughs> well, I guess this is the point at which I remind everybody that if you still have holiday gift giving questions, we did do our official holiday episode last week, but we will still answer those for as much time as we have. Although next week we'll be taking a break because it is Thanksgiving and Amanda will be eating a trash bag of collard greens and I will be eating a trash bag of pie. So. Oh, not next week, but perhaps the week after. Speaking of, the show works by you sending us in recommendation requests and us answering them. So how that works, you can send them to us via email, getbooked at bookriot.com, or drop them in the form that's at the bottom of the show notes on the site for each episode. And you can ask for recommendations for yourselves, for gift giving. As I mentioned, you can do maybe what your book club should read next. Give us an idea of what has worked, what has not worked, and we will do our best to find you your next great read. If you are submitting a question that is time sensitive in that you would like the response by a certain date. Please put time sensitive, all caps, big letters at the top of the form or in the first and the subject line rather of the email. And we will do our best. If we are not going to get to it on air, we might email you a response. So keep an eye out for those. And if you've asked a question that we have answered on the show before, we might also email you a response so you can look for that as well. All right. So before we get into today's questions, we have some feedback from listener Miranda for the person who wanted to be scared. Says, I don't know why I decided to read Hex on an airplane, but that was a choice I made and I have never been that scared in my life. I don't do horror movies, but I do read horror. Also, her body and other parties gave me nightmares if short stories are okay. I will co-sign that. Her body and other parties also gave me nightmares. So, yeah, that's a good one. Okay, so Amanda is going to read our first question for us. All right, our first question is from Caitlin, who says, I was wondering if you had any recommendations for fun murder mystery novels that are well-written and not too dark. I did not enjoy Gone Girl because it was too dark. I love Agatha Christie and have read a good portion of her novels. I'm looking for new mysteries that are fun. I recently watched the movie Clue and something similar in book format would be great. But first, we will take a break for our first sponsor. Today's episode is brought to you by Sourcebooks Landmark. So King Solomon says something very interesting to his son before he dies, and that is, quote, don't let the white man take the house, end quote. These, as I just mentioned, are King Solomon's last words to his son as he dies. Now, all four Solomon siblings must return to North Carolina to save the kingdom, their ancestral home, and 200 acres of land from a development company. Told in alternating viewpoints, Long After We Are Gone by Tara Shelton Harris is a searing portrait of the power of family and letting go of things that no longer serve you, exploring the burden of familial expectations, the detriment of miscommunication, and the lessons and legacies we pass on to our children. It's an explosive and emotional story of four siblings, each fighting their own personal battle, because who isn't, who return home in the wake of their father's death. Make sure to check out Long After We Are Gone by Tara Shelton Harris. And thanks again to Sourcebooks Landmark for sponsoring this episode. 
Today's episode is brought to you by Bloom Books. Diana Dixon has a busy summer and no time for tall, gorgeous hockey player Shane's shenanigans. Because you know what? If they shenan once, they'll shenan again. So she thinks she knows exactly who he is when he moves into her apartment building. But turns out Shane's sick of hookups and tired of being on the rebound after his long-term girlfriend called it quits. But when his ex comes back into the picture, he needs a plan. And who better to play his new girlfriend than his sassy new neighbor? So a a fake relationship might be perfect for Diana's own ex issues, but Diana is used to living by the rules. Will she learn that when it comes to love, rules are meant to be broken? Make sure to check out The Dixon Rule by L. Kennedy. L. Kennedy is a New York Times and USA Today bestselling author with over a million copies of her books sold. So this is going to be another banger, y'all. Make sure to check it out. And thanks again to Bloom Books for sponsoring this episode. Okay, so fun murder mysteries, perhaps Agatha Christie-esque. I picked for you Murder in G Major by Alexia Gordon, which is the first in the Gethsemane Brown mystery series. And can we take a pause for a moment to appreciate the name (sighs) Gethsemane Brown? Like, that's just amazing. Uh, There are four books currently in this series. So if you like it, there is more. And I really enjoyed this. I picked it initially because it had been a nominee for the Agatha Award uh, for Best First Novel. And I was like, well, shoot, Agatha Christie's name is in the award title that this book was nominated for. So that seems promising. And I really enjoyed it. It was super fun. It is about an African-American musician named Gethsemane Brown, who is sort of stranded in Ireland. She was supposed to get a job at this very fancy orchestra, but she gets like shafted from the position by some internal politics and is left like high and dry without a job and then also loses all of her luggage and she's like in the middle of the Irish countryside and what is she going to do? And somebody comes to the rescue and says, okay, you can stay at this cottage and you can teach at this private boys school who are supposed to be competing in this like a big Ireland competition, school competition to win an award. And it's like a big deal, prestige, no pressure. And then it turns out that the cottage that she's staying in is haunted. So she's like, okay, I have no clothes. I'm supposed to go teach at this prep school and turn a bunch of boys, like teenage boys, into an award-winning orchestra. And also now the cottage I'm staying in is haunted. Like, what the heck? And the ghost of the cottage turns out to be an a, like a musician that she revered. And he says he was falsely accused of murdering his wife and then himself. And he's like, you need, I'm going to haunt you until you clear my name. So she's like, cool, this is great. This is exactly how I wanted to spend my life. Absolutely. (laughs) And she, so she, of course, she gets sucked into it. And this little Irish town has all of these secrets. And there's so many interesting characters and, you know, layers upon layers of skullduggery ensue. And it's really fun. I enjoyed it so much. Uh, It was just, yeah, it was really It was. It was fun. It was interesting. There is definitely like some, you know, hair raising moments of peril, but on the whole, like not at all too dark. I will say my one warning for this book is that uh, mental illness is a part of the plot line. And there is a certain point at which like ableist language and slurs are used. And so if if you're sensitive to that, this might not be for you. But uh, otherwise, I very much enjoyed it. And I'm very curious to read the other ones because it, you know, the mystery gets wrapped up at the end of this one but there's like an interesting ghost cliffhanger which i was not expecting so that again is murder in g major by alexia gordon okay i picked death by dumpling by vivian chien who has written this series of cozy mysteries called the noodle shop mysteries that have the best titles the second one is called dim sum of all fears (laughs) you're welcome wanton terror is another one anyway um there are four books out now currently and the fifth one is coming out um next year and it's called egg drop dead i just Amazing. I love Amazing. So much, right? Okay, so these uh books are about a woman named Lana who 
uh, in the first book is uh, has just had a really like brutal breakup. She's had a really dramatic uh, end to her job where she like walked out of her terrible job in a really dramatic fashion. Um, she is at this crossroads in her life. And so she takes a job at her parents' noodle restaurant uh, to just like pay the bills until she figures out what she wants to do with her life. It's in a little t- um, like suburb in Cleveland in like a strip mall. Um, she really did not want to end up working in her parents' restaurant, even though that's, like, what they insisted that she do with her life from the jump, because her mom is now like, oh, great, you're here, let's get you married, and, like, doing all this stuff that Lana finds very obnoxious. But whatever, it's, like, what she's got to do. Um, and so when the book opens, she's delivering a takeout order to one of the neighbors in the strip mall who who is, like, the property manager of that strip mall. Every property uh in this collection of stores is that they call asia palace or something with asia in the name i don't remember um it's all owned by this one guy mr feng who is has been like it was his dream to create this collection of properties owned by asian immigrants so that the community would have like a gathering place so she delivers his you know dumplings um has a short conversation and then leaves and then like 20 minutes later the ambulance the ambulances show up because he has turned up dead and it turns out that the dumplings that lana delivered to him had shrimp in them even though mr fang had a really well-known allergy to shellfish a really deadly allergy um and it was like posted all over the restaurant they cooked his food in like different pots and pans and stuff to make sure that he would never get sick but this terrible thing has happened and now he's dead. So the cook at the restaurant come is the one who like is under investigation because he's the one who handled the order. He's the one who like made the food and put it in the bag that had Mr. Fang's name on it. So he gets arrested. But Lana is sure that this like harmless dude could not have orchestrated this murder and also has no reason to because everybody really liked Mr. Fang. So like, why would he kill him? So she goes on this, like, I'm going to figure out what happened, um, investigative, you know, kick. Also, added bonus, one of the cops who's investigating the death is like super hot. So that's fun. But it's just a really like fun and funny. I mean, it's hard to describe a book about murder as fun, but here we are. It's a cozy mystery. They're supposed to be fun. It's a fun and funny murder mystery about a really (laughs) hilarious character. Like Lana is She's very, um, like, snarky, and uh, there's a page, I put it on my Instagram account because it was so funny, I laughed out loud at it, but there's a page where she's describing her family, and she's talking about her dad, and she's like, my dad is just a white guy. Like, he's just such a white guy that you expect to find him on, like, an advertisement for a bank. Like, I don't know what to do with him. And it's just hilarious. <laughs> like, she just has no filter, and it's on the page, and I love her so much. So that's Death by Dumpling by Vivian Chien. Nice, nice. I'm going to have to pick those up. They're great fun. Great fun. Uh, great, great fun, I say. Excellent. <laughs> Our next question is from Katie, who says, I'm hoping you'll help me with some new book or series ideas for my husband, who is the type of person who will reread and re-listen to the same books over and over and over. He also tends to read book series geared towards younger readers. Being an elementary school teacher, he likes to recommend and talk books with his students. All-time favorites include Harry Potter, His Dark Materials, Just About Everything by Rick Riordan. Also enjoyed Game of Thrones, uh, Neil Schusterman, Dark Matter, Ready, Ready Player One. Drawn towards multi-book series because of the rich world building and loves books seeped in mythology. Plot twist. He also loves U.S. history, particularly about the gold rush and the American Revolution. I think he might be into a fantasy adventure with a historical slant. Alexander Hamilton with a talking dog sidekick in a time machine saving the world. He'd probably read that. Side note, I would definitely read that. 100%. Like, somebody write it immediately (laughs) and send it to us. Like, I'm ready. My body is ready. Okay. And side note, <laughs> Katie says, I'd love to see him continue to explore new worlds, characters, and ideas. So the plan is to gift him some new books for the holidays. Amanda, what you got? Okay, I don't have Alexander Hamilton with a talking dog, sadly, but I do have the Civil War with zombies. So I picked Dread Nation by Justina Ireland. Um, it's not a multi-book series, but the sequel does come out next year in February. So if he if he gets it for the holidays in December, reads it over a couple of weeks, just as he's ready to read the sequel, it should be out. Um, so this is a YA novel. And it has that really fun um, alternate history setup. Um, so it takes place right after the Civil War has ended. But it has not ended in the way that it actually ended. It's ended because they, the two sides had no choice but to stop fighting because, like, zombies appeared. Like, the, the Civil War is happening, and then all of a sudden, out of the ground erupt all of the dead of the North and the South. Um, and so the war has to stop so that the armies can be used for the defense of, like, all humanity as opposed to you know, killing each other or trying to save the Union. Um, So the main character's name is Jane, and she is from a southern plantation. She's sent off to uh, be trained to be an attendant, which in this universe is a school for 
well, people of color, essentially, to learn how to kill zombies and then get hired out to be bodyguards for wealthy white people. And she, Jane, is like, does whatever. Jane is just there. Like, she's a very kind of uh, politically agnostic character. She does not care about what's happening in the politics of the country where she lives or what's going on around her so much. She just wants to get out of this school so she can go home. Like, she just is done with it. Um, but then some of her friends and their families around where she's training in Baltimore start to disappear. And she gets wrapped up in this political conspiracy that sees her eventually sent away from her home to the um, frontier borderland um, to be, like, put to work, basically. And there's a lot of anti-zombie violence like it's hard to describe again it's hard to describe a book with a lot of violence and it is fun but it's just super fun like fighting zombies is fun i don't whatever it's buffy the vampire slayer if buffy the vampire slayer were taking place during the civil war um and had any concept of social justice in it maybe buffy does i don't remember i haven't watched in a long time Mm. no (laughs) okay well i won't rewatch it (laughs) i've been afraid that it wouldn't hold up so like i've just it's it it goes episode by episode quite frankly i've put that in just a little box in my heart to be Mm -hmm. left to be left alone that's fine okay that's a tangent anyway so i the thing that i really love about jane is that she um this is not my original thought but i don't remember who said maybe justina said it in an interview the author but uh jane is a very like huckleberry finn type of character like she's just here to survive and like have a little bit of fun when she can. She doesn't care about what's going on. And then she gets wrapped up into like being forced to care about the political situation uh, that surrounds her and the other people in her life um, in that same like adventurous, like devil may care kind of fuck Finn way. So it's a super fun book while at the same time dealing with really important issues while at the same time zombies. So that's Dread Nation by Justina Ireland. I also got hung up on this alternate U.S. history option. Um, but the books that I picked, book it's a novella combination, duology, that's what it's called, mm-hmm. um, I think is actually very YA adjacent. It could be crossover There's like a little bit of sex, but I think otherwise it's, and, and also like what teen books don't have sex in them. I mean, anyway, you can be the judge. But uh, I picked American Hippo by Sarah Gailey, which is so much fun, such an amazing premise. And I think U.S. History Nuts, for sure, all need to read this. It is two novellas that are now combined. They were originally published as River of Teeth and Taste of Marrow. And the premise is that, like, way back in the days of the Louisiana Purchase, uh, the United States government decided that the, you know, animal that was going to, they were going to import to herd and breed were going to be hippos as, like, an alternative meat source. So, like, you know, cowboys wrangling hippos. Like, that's what's going to happen. And the problem with this plan is that, like, hippos are actually really violent and fast and can kill a man. Whoops. So now, like, it's too late, though, because the hippos have been breeding in the bayous uh, and they've gone feral and the U.S. government is like, whoops. (laughs) And so our main character, Winslow Houndstooth, amazing name, gets a contract from the government to deal with the hippo problem. And they are not specific as to how he is supposed to do this. So he is kind of like, cool, cool, cool. I'm going to put together like a heist crew, basically, and do this my way. And like, definitely the US government will not approve. But as long as they don't find out, like, no harm, no foul. So he rounds up a bunch of outlaws who have different skill sets. Like one of them is a con artist. One of them is a demolitions expert. Like one of them is, you know, a hippo wrangler. And there's all kinds of amazing hijinks that ensue. It's just so much fun. It's just so much fun. And it's a really interesting take on like a southern western alternate history. I will say there's no fantasy per se, but I think tonally it's very in line, especially in some of the humor with like that Rick Riordan y stuff, um, even though there's no magic. So yeah, super duper fun. Comes in a nice combined volume. I think it's definitely a potential winner. So again, American Hippo by Sarah Gailey. 
All right. Question three is from Heather, who says, Every Christmas, I give each of my kids a book that reflects something going on in their lives during the past year. Over the years, the collection of books for each child has provided great memories of their interests, accomplishments, and dreams. When they were younger, it was easy to find books about learning to ride a bike, a cookbook about cakes, or a collection of poems about nature. As they've gotten older, their interests have naturally become more narrowed and specific. I'm hoping you can help me find a book for my oldest daughter, who is 19. This past year, she's completed an internship where she cares for and trains carnivores at a wildlife park and breeding program. She worked daily feeding and tending to lions, tigers, bears, and cheetahs. It was amazing to see her growth over the period of the internship, and I've never seen her more happy, confident, or driven. I'd love to find a book for her about a person who has a similar positive experience with wild animals. Okay, I love this. Like, that's such Mm -hmm. a good idea, and I'm totally going to steal it, because all my kids want to read about right now is Pokemon, which is fine, but, like, (laughs) I'm going to steal this idea. Um, I'm also going to keep going. So I picked Steve and Me by Terry... Irwin, because Steve Irwin is the crocodile hunter and is probably, I mean, I don't know, but maybe one of the the most famous wildlife conservation, Mm. Jane Goodall might be, you know, I almost picked a Jane Goodall book, but I thought that might be a little bit too old. Like maybe she doesn't know who that is. Uh, But Steve Irwin, I think, is still alive enough in in pop culture for even a 19-year-old to recognize the name. So this is Terry Irwin's memoir. Terry uh, was 27 when she left her own work as a wildlife rescue worker in Oregon and traveled to Australia, where she met Steve Irwin at a small wildlife park. They were married, like, super fast, and then Terry joined with Steve in his conservation work. Their honeymoon, I did not know this, but their honeymoon was spent trapping crocodiles for conservation work, and that became the first episode of Crocodile Hunter. I love that so much. Like, that's such a (laughs) nerdy... Like, they're just... their honeymoon right they're so there's nerds like they're the most giant nerds um and so the book is, is of course about their romance falling in love the work that they did together and all of the like just banana pants adventures that they had together doing conservation work with wild animals like swimming with humpbacks and dealing with venomous snakes of course trying to wrestle crocodiles to the ground and you know if you've not seen the show all of his work in quote-unquote hunting crocodiles was about saving them from poachers and moving them out of human infested areas so that they could live out their, you know, long crocodilian dinosaur lives. <laughs> um, uh, and his TV show was all about education and the importance of conservation. Um, and so Terry is writing this book because, of course, her husband died. Like, that's not a spoiler. He died uh, probably like almost a decade ago when he was stung by a stingray. It's in the name, Amanda. He was stung by a stingray. Um, and so it's a look at his like family life and his work as an environmentalist. And I think that for somebody who's 19 and is, an, is interning in like something that she's hoping to turn into a career that she's had a really passionate response to, uh, reading a book about someone who turned that into a really viable and helpful and passionate life, not just in his work, but in like his whole family was involved. His daughter has a sh- has a show about uh, education, about animals and wildlife and conservation and all that. Um, so it really became his legacy. So I think that for somebody who's like at the cusp of becoming passionate about something, this would be a really good read. So that's Steve and Me by Terry Irwin. I picked The Daily Coyote by Shreve Stockton, which is a First of all, a beautiful book. Uh, Shreve Stockton is a photographer, and the book has these like amazing photographs. And it actually started out as a blog back in the day. Shreve, this is sort of a memoir, sort of a photo book. Uh, Shreve was a city girl. She lived in like Seattle and then New York and then San Francisco and was kind of at a, you know, moment in her life trying to figure out what came next. And she drives from San Francisco to New York on a Vespa and happens to go through Wyoming and is just struck by the landscape and starts thinking like, oh, maybe... I don't want to be a city girl. And she makes a very impulsive decision, like Googles up a rental in Wyoming and goes like no job, no big plans. She's just like, I'm just going to do this. And she ends up adopting a baby coyote, which like, again, city girl has no idea what she's doing. (laughs) And um And this is sort of the story of like, how did that happen? And how did she go from being kind of clueless about dealing with not only like a wild animal, but a canine who, you know, there's like hierarchy and behaviors that you kind of need to know about if you're going to successfully have a relationship with an animal and that she is sort of figures out by trial and error and like some errors for real. And I think that your daughter will get a kick out of seeing that journey. And the photos, again, are amazing. Charlie the Coyote is incredible. And the relationship between like Charlie and her cat is really fantastic. And then also you see Shreve's live kind of 
of unfold. And, um, you know, she like finds a relationship and has to adjust to rural life. And what does that look like? And I just think it's a really amazing story in multiple ways. It's a cool uh, memoir. And it's also just a fascinating look at the policy around wild animals and coyotes in particular in ranch country. And Stockton definitely gets into that. And that is something that in the field of, you know, carnivore conservation is going to be potentially relevant to your daughter. Um, and this is an interesting perspective on it sort of from the outside. But she becomes very, you know, knowledgeable sort of by force about how this works. And like she is dating a rancher. So, you know, and he like works sometimes for the Bureau of Land Management. So this becomes very personal for her. And that's also a really interesting story. And again, the photographs are amazing. So I feel like it's a nice gift book. So again, that's The Daily Coyote by Shreve Stockton. And our next question is from Shannon, who says, I want to get my mom a book for her birthday. She works as a director at a basketball camp, and one of her jobs is mentoring and organizing the counselors. She likes self-help type books, and I want to find one that's about leadership in a summer camp or basketball setting, or about mentoring and working with teenagers or young adults. Manda, what you got? Okay, I picked, uh, your mom has probably heard of this, but I, I don't know if she's read it. So I picked Sum It Up by Pat Summit, uh, and it's co-written by Kelly Jenkins. Pat Summit is the all-time winningest coach in the NCAA, uh, which, of course, is basketball. She was 21 when she became the head coach of the Tennessee Vols, which is the Volunteers women's basketball team, and then she coached for almost 40 years. Um, she co-captained the first women's Olympic team. And, you know, college basketball is very fancy and glitzy and has a lot of money behind it, but these are essentially young adults. You know, it's not a high school camp, but it is. 18, 19, 20, 21-year-olds. Um, so I think that your mom will have a lot here that she finds relatable, even if the scale is like they're just more cameras and money and that kind of thing. Um, the perspective of this book, because she has written other memoirs of her earlier life, um, but the perspective of this book is more long-term. Over the course of her, her career as a coach, 74 of her players have gone on to become coaches themselves. So I think that that would be really relevant to somebody who's in a mentoring kind of job. And then in 2011, she was diagnosed with early onset Alzheimer's. And despite this diagnosis, she continued to coach and led the Vols to their 16th SEC championship in 2012. So she's got a lot of experience and a lot to say, obviously, about um, coaching young adults, specifically young women in the specific sport um, in really, really successful ways and about mentoring them to have long-term careers in the sport, even if they don't go on to become like professional players or athletes. So that's Sum It Up by Pat Summit. I picked, it's not it's not basketball, but it is sports. <laughs> I picked Wolfpack by Abby Wambach, who, as you probably know, is a gold medalist and FIFA World Cup champion and is just amazing. And this book grew out of her uh, commencement speech that she gave to Barnard College's graduates in 2018. And I like, right. So this is not specifically for young adults, but I, I think it is for women. And I think that Abby Wambach has such an amazing perspective and like demonstrated ability to lead. So this is from my own wish list. And I, I just feel like any coach is going to want to have this on their shelf, right? And she's talking about the principles that she developed uh, during her time on the um, women's soccer team and, you know, like how to turn failure into fuel and leading from the bench and just like, you know, demanding recognition and agency as opposed to waiting for people to give it to you. And these are all things that I feel like anyone can learn from. And also very specifically, you know, there's still a lot of challenges faced by women uh, and, you know, basically non-male folks in sports. And and this is stuff that, you know, we all need to talk about. So I, I feel like this is just perfect. Uh, so again, that's Wolfpack. Uh, subtitle, How to Come Together, Unleash Our Power and Change the Game by Abby Wambach. And now it is time for our next sponsor. Today's episode is brought to you by Greenleaf Book Group. 
No summer vacation should be without a great read. And I don't know about you, but I am partial to mysteries and thrillers for my hot month reads. It's hot girl reading summer always over here. And from the award-winning librettist of Legally Blonde, the musical and the screenwriter of Freaky Friday, Heather Hawk, comes the page-turning psychological thriller, The Trouble with Drowning. So when author Eden Hart floats into Tucson's Antigone books and all her dazzling perfection to give a reading, Kat, a struggling writer, can't help but compare herself. Thankfully, Kat's life starts to take on its own Eden-like glow when her literary future takes shape and she falls madly in love with Jacob. As demons from her past begin to surface, Kat's mental health craters and this halcyon dream slips through her fingers. For the fastest paced slow burn you won't be able to put down, be sure to check out The Trouble with Drowning by Heather Hawk on Amazon or your retailer of choice. And thanks again to Greenleaf Book Group for sponsoring this episode. Today's episode is brought to you by Avid Reader Press. So this next book is a really fun sounding mashup of different genres. There's a little time travel, a little romance, a little spy thriller action going on. So in the near future, a civil servant is offered the salary of her dreams and is shortly afterward told what project she'll be working on. A recently established government ministry is gathering quote unquote expats from across history to establish whether time travel is feasible for the body, but also for the fabric of space time. This is an exquisitely original and feverishly fun fusion of genres and ideas. The Ministry of Time by Colleen Bradley asks, what does it mean to defy history when history is living in your house? Colleen Bradley's answer is a blazing, unforgettable testament to what we owe each other in a changing world. It kind of gives Outlander meets Cloud Atlas or If the Time Traveler's Wife was written by Sally Rooney or Colson Whitehead. Make sure to check out The Ministry of Time by Colleen Bradley. And thanks again to Avid Reader Press for sponsoring this episode. Okay, our next question is from Kat, who says, I'm looking for recommendations after finishing reading Where the Crawdads Sing by Delia Owen. I love this book, which surprised me as I usually read more plot-driven books and don't usually like descriptions like beautiful prose, lyrical, and so on. I found myself completely absorbed in the story, loved the language, and even underlined some of the sentences. Maybe it's the introvert in me, but I love that it didn't contain too many characters, some I could root for, and most of all, the mother nature. The nature scenes were my favorites to read and get lost in. I'm going on a backpacking trip to South America next month and looking for a good read. Can you please recommend something similar? Okay, I picked a piece of nonfiction, actually, but I think that it will really ring your bell. So I picked Deep Creek, Finding Hope in the High Country by Pam Houston. Um, for those who are unfamiliar with Where the Crawdads Sing, it's about a girl who grows up, like, basically by herself in the backwater swamps of North Carolina. And Deep Creek is Pam Houston's memoir of owning a 120-acre ranch in the Colorado Rockies in a town of, like, 12 people and a cow. And she lives by herself, um, with her several, like, her menagerie of animals, which include a hilarious collection of tiny pygmy horses, um, and giant Irish wolf dogs. So the characters are, like... Pam. Pam is the character and her dogs, um, who you actually, like, I cried a lot in her description of her dogs. The way that she talks about her dogs is very heartfelt. And I don't know, does it got me right in the feels? I'm not a sentimental reader, but here I am crying about wolfhounds. I, whatever. <laughs> um, I know. Um, her writing is beautiful. Pam Houston is a very well-known writer of nature and conservation. Um, and her... Her, like, I relate to nothing about this life. As same with Where the Crowd Out Sing. Obviously, I don't relate to that life either. But Pam chose it like she buys this ranch in the middle of nowhere miles away from other people four hours away from an airport despite the fact that she makes all of her money traveling and the descriptions of how she has to live in nature with almost like not just nature but like brutal like snow nine months of the year the things that she has to do as a single woman to maintain her home um and like keep herself warm enough to not die it's just mind-boggling it's 2019 and there are people who like choose this life and i totally respect that and it's so far from anything that i would ever decide to do that it's like fascinating and the way there's an entire chapter in here about wildfires and how her home gets threatened by fires that come super close uh one year while she's off traveling and her boyfriend at the time is there like trying to keep a uh, you know a watch on her ranch and the the things that she has to do eventually she does have to go home but the things that she has to do to like defend her home against these fires and all of her animals and it's just mind-boggling writing is beautiful um and i think that if you're you're going on a hiking trip 
I don't know, the way that she lives so in nature. She has four walls, but like they're barely keeping her, you know, they're barely keeping her inside uh, because the, the, the you know, her ranch is just so wild and the nature, the, like the climate she's chosen to live in is so bananas and uh, extreme. But if you're going hiking, I think reading something about someone who has similarly chosen to put herself outside in the world where really anything could happen and where she has chosen to become really familiar, to spend her life becoming familiar with this like 120 acres, um, I think you'll find a lot to relate to here. So that's Deep Creek, Finding Hope in the High Country by Pam Houston. So I, you said that you wanted not too many characters and that is not at all what's happening in the book I picked, but bear with me. <laughs> I promise I picked it for reasons. Uh, I picked The Overstory by Richard Powers, uh, which I'm reading right now. I'm about a third of the way through. And I read this question and it was all, I mean, I, it's like when you think of something and then you cannot think of anything else, it was all I could think of for this question. I am going to give a trigger warning, uh, I, although I won't get into it in the discussion of this book, but this book contains like a lot of suicide, sadly. Uh, so if that's going to be triggering for you, you should skip it. But what it is, is a huge sort of exploration of trees, but also how people relate to trees. And the writing is so, oh, he's so good at sentences and words. It's ridiculous. And, and, and he sort of like sometimes you're getting the perspective sort of of a tree or like multiple tree of the woods. It's really sort of stunning and amazing. And every time I'm done, re I'm reading it very slowly because I'm reading it um, as part of like a buddy read and we're reading it out loud. And I, I like every time we're done with a section, I just have to sit for a minute and be like, wow. And but you're also following. <laughs> there's like a new character every chapter. I'm so sorry. But it's it's it, I promise it's not a big deal because it all just flows together really beautifully. So each, you know, chapter so far anyway, like I said, I'm about a third through, uh, you meet a new character and you see their life in relationship to trees. And some of them don't even notice the trees that are part of their lives. And then some of them are deeply involved in conservation and nature research. And, you know, it, it's just sort of like, I don't know where this plot is going. I have no idea. Like, I have no idea. Are, are they all going to come together in an obvious way? Couldn't tell you. Not sure. The, it jumps around a little bit in time, although it mostly takes place in, like, the Midwest. Uh, but but it, but then again, you know, some characters end up in Oregon. So it moves around in time and place. It moves around from character to character. But what unites it is this sort of really deep look at how nature shapes us and how we are shaping nature. And it's so beautifully written. So I feel like it's, it's, it's the atmosphere of a book that's important. And this atmosphere sounds to me like what you're looking for. And I do think it would be a good book to take on a hiking trip because every time I put this down, I look up a new tree. I'm like, oh, can I identify that tree? Like, probably I can't. What? A, and like, what trees are in my neighborhood? And now I'm just like, I'm obsessed with trees. And I already <laughs> loved nature and gardening. But, like, I had not really thought about trees very much at all, to be quite honest. And so, yeah, I think I think this will I think this will scratch that itch. Uh, but it's really intensely tree focused. <laughs> I don't know how else to say it. Uh, so, again, that's the overstory by Richard Bowers. What if we got you a T-shirt that said intensely tree focused? I would wear it. I would wear <laughs> the bejesus out of that shirt. <laughs> Absolutely. Okay, our next question is from Shayna, who says, I recently enjoyed 112263 and the Doomsday Book uh, by Connie Willis, and I'm looking for more good historical time travel fiction. Kindred is already on my to-read list, and I read the first Outlander book and found it a bit less consensual than I prefer my romances. <laughs> Ew. Uh, oh. Any suggestions for entertaining historical time travel books? All right, I'm going to shut up. Amanda. Okay, I picked A Murder in Time by Julie McElwain, which is the first book in the Kendra Donovan series, of which there are, like, a bajillion. Well, there are four. Uh, I lied. Four is a bajillion. It's roughly a bajillion. Um, so <laughs> A Murder in Time is about Kendra Donovan, obviously, who is an FBI agent. When the first book opens, she is not in a great place. Um, her team was murdered in a raid that went awry that indicated that there was a mole in the FBI. 
she herself during the raid is super like very severely wounded is in the hospital forever um but as she's recovered and now she has gone rogue she goes to england to assassinate the man who she thinks is responsible for the death of her team um and of course this will like destroy her career so in england she goes undercover as a um employee working at this party in eldrick castle um which is like this historical, you know, like cosplay party, essentially. There's a better word for it that isn't cosplay, but now I can't remember it, so it doesn't matter. Like LARPing or kind, Yeah, it, it's a historical reenactment. Yeah, thank you. Um, at this party. And so she has decided that she's going, that's how she's going to get him, right? She's going to go undercover as a, like, dressed up, whatever. Um, oh my goodness, my brain. A reenactor. Thank you. <laughs> While she is in the castle... Hunting for this guy, she finds him eventually, and then in the course of their, like, fighting, she ends up hiding in a stairwell for reasons that you'll find out when she reads. When she comes out, it is, the things are not the same, because she has traveled back in time. And it is now 1815, and she is stumbling into the office of the man who owned Aldrich Castle in 1815, who is some kind of nobility, um, I don't remember, and he's having a meeting and she just walks out. And so she's a woman, a strange woman who this guy doesn't know in 1815, like in his office, and that's not great. Um, and so she has to very quickly pretend she's a lady's maid uh, once she realizes what's happened, that she's traveled back in time, which is bizarre. Um, and so she's trying to figure out, of course, like, how do I get back? And how do I not say something that's going to reveal me to be um, you know, what they're going to interpret as out of my mind, basically, where I'm going to get hospitalized and it's going to be terrible. And she's trying, so she's trying to get it back home. But, but while that's happening, the body of a young girl is found on the grounds of the estate. And she is, of course, an FBI agent with a lot of forensic expertise. So she jumps in, despite everyone around her being like, why is this lady's maid who should not even know how to read doing all of these inappropriate things like touching a dead body and like all it just nothing that she does fits in. Um, so she has to both solve this crime because it turns out to be a serial killer. So she has to solve the crime and not end up in jail or like ostracized from society for being inappropriate and like too much of a feminist because she can read and that's not cool in 1815 um there's also a little bit of romance wrapped up in it um and also trying her trying to get back home so it has i love this trope of like modern person goes back in time and is immediately like how dare you when people try to make her conform to the norms of whatever that time <laughs> is um which of course include forensic science because none of that had been invented so when she tries to talk about, like, obviously this person was killed with this weapon because you can see it on the bones. Everyone looks at her like she is just a maniac <laughs> or, like, some kind of criminal. Or maybe she's possessed. Like, the the explanations they come up for uh, come up for to describe her, like, intelligence are hilarious. And so her trying to, like, grin and bear it, oh, it's so satisfying. It's just really funny. So that's A Murder in Time by Julie McElwain. I picked Just One Damned Thing After Another by <laughs> Jody Taylor, which title. is an amazing title. And I'm reading it now, and I'm finding it a really solid comp for the Connie Willis historical time travel books. Because this is also literally time-traveling historians. Uh, the main character, uh, who goes by Max, um, her last name is Maxwell. I actually can't even remember her first name now that I'm thinking about this. She has one. What is it? Who knows? Doesn't matter. Um, she is an archaeologist, and she gets brought in by a, a you know a former teacher who was a mentor for her for this interview at an institution called um, St. Mary's that is like, from all outside accounts, you know, a uh, like just a historical research facility. No big deal. And she starts to realize over the course of this intake interview, like, perhaps things are not as they seem. And she's up for it. She's like, yeah, show me whatever it is behind these doors. And it turns out it's time travel. So big secret, obviously. And then she gets trained to become a time traveling historian, which is very fraught. I kind of love, I love a training montage. I'm not going to lie. And so like the way that you see her move through the training is kind of hilarious. And like, she's a grown adult. She's a grown woman with her own like thoughts and opinions and like some of her instructors and her do not get along and like what that looks like is very entertaining. Um, and the point I'm at now is that she has gone on her first mission 
and things have not gone well. And one of the things that's interesting about this interpretation of time traveling history, because the problem is always, right, like, how do you observe without impacting? And so the way that Jodie Taylor has set it up in this series, of which, by the way, there are 10 books, so there's lots if you like it. Uh, The way Jodie Taylor has set it up is that history is sort of like a force. And if it thinks you're going to mess with the order of things that have already happened, it will remove you potentially violently from the equation. So like you go back at your own peril because if you if history thinks you're going to like step on a leaf or talk to a person or interfere with something that happened, like it's going to maybe kill you to prevent you from changing anything. So super perilous. Um, But it's got that balance of peril with a touch of like snarky humor that I love about Connie Willis. So I'm really enjoying this so far. Uh, So again, that is just one damned thing after another, which is the first book in The Chronicles of St. Mary's by Jodi Taylor. All right. Our last question is from Meredith, who says, every year I like to tackle a big, scary book. Not scary in the sense that the book is frightening, though I'm not opposed to that. More that the book's physical weight, complexity, or subject matter tend to intimidate readers. I've previously read Infinite Jest, East of Eden, A Little Life, Goldfinch, Ulysses, Moby Dick, etc. I've also read shorter books that would qualify, like Joanna Russ's Female Man. There are a lot of lists on the internet of the most difficult books, but those lists are largely white and male, and I'm looking for something that isn't. I know I could pick up War and Peace and should probably read it eventually, but I really want to read as few books by white dudes in in this year (laughs) as possible. Can you point me in the direction of heady, challenging, doorstopper fiction that meets this criteria? I'm not adverse to any particular genre. I just want to dig into a really difficult book. Okay, so um, you should read War and Peace. I'm just going to say that. No, it's not as hard as it looks. It's a, a lot bigger than like, the, it's not as difficult as the size would indicate is what I'm trying to say. Um, okay, so I picked Ducks and Newburyport by Lucy Ellman, which is getting a lot of attention these days for being shortlisted for the Booker Prize, um, the Booker Prize that eventually went to Bernadine Abaristo and Margaret Atwood. Ooh, but it's fine. Uh, anyway, so Ducks New Report is amazing. I'm reading it now, um, and will be reading it for the next probably year and a half because I read about ten pages a day, and it over a thousand pages, um, and that's on purpose. So this book is the internal monologue of an Ohio housewife. Um, who is making pies as the book opens and for the majority of the book as it happens. And there is no action. Like, nothing happens except she makes pies and, like, steps on a Lego. Uh, The whole book, all thousand pages of it, is eight sentences. I have not reached the end of the first sentence yet. (laughs) Um, And she thinks about everything. Like, she's thinking about the president and gun control and her pie recipe and her cancer diagnosis and like her husband who is a professor in her own professional life um, and like how her teenage daughter seems to resent her and what am I supposed to do about that and like why don't I have nicer clothes and you know her medical bills all this stuff just the most mundane everything from very very small mundane things to like big international issues which is I think the way most of our brains work when we're sitting around doing something meditative which is what she's doing you know baking like when I'm cooking I think about any number of things that are connected or not um, that have to do with you know like my feet hurt what am I how am I raising my kids and what did the Trump tweet like what did Trump tweet today I think about any number of things that have nothing to do with each other and that's what you're reading it's just like a a fire hose of this woman's consciousness. Um, And I know that some people find it irritating because instead of using periods, she uses the phrase, the fact that. So like every page has that phrase, the fact that like 20 times. Um, I have not found it irritating so far. I have just found it mostly meditative. And some of her sentences are really beautiful. I've been underlining things. uh, Well, not sentences, some of her sentence fragments. Um, I've been (laughs) underlining things that really strike me as um, particularly poignant. Like she has several realizations over the course of what I've read so far. But I think it's everything, like it's everything you're asking for. It's maximalist literature in every possible imaginable way. So if you liked Infinite Jest, I think that this will be something that you will really enjoy. I would also recommend listening to her interview, Lucy Elman's interview on the Guardian Books podcast, because she is hilarious. Like, she goes on a little mini rant about how nobody should have children because it's bad for the planet, and also motherhood's kind of a drag. And I... Hashtag relatable content. Like, it's so <laughs> great. Um, But the book is... I can't... I don't even have, like... It's hefty, you know? Like, it's hefty in every possible way. Subject matter-wise, literal size-wise. And I would be really interested in how somebody responded to it on audio. I don't even know if it's on audio, but listening to Stream of Consciousness um, styles like this on audio is always really 
fun to me. Like it's soothing and you can get distracted and miss a little bit of it. And it almost doesn't matter um, because that's like almost the point of it. So that's Duck's Newburyport by Lucy Ellman. I'm so curious about that book. And I'm not going to lie to you. I'm even more curious now that you've talked about pie. Mm, it, she's just baking for the, she's been standing at the stove baking this whole time that I've been reading it like I haven't heard anything that makes me want to read that book more than that <laughs> <laughs> she has a lot of feelings about pie the correct ways to make ingredients etc I also have a lot of feelings about pie mm-hmm. so okay well good good to know my pick for you Meredith is from my own doorstopper TBR I am waiting until I feel a little bit stronger to get to it for reasons that will become clear as I describe it. It is Almanac of the Dead by Leslie Marmon Silco. And apparently this book comes with trigger warnings for basically everything. Uh, It is, I I mean, Leslie Marmon Silco is an iconic Native American writer. And this is her, you know, 768-page meditation on the American situation. And it's very much about the patterns of destruction that started, you know, when the first Europeans came to North America and continue today. So not just, you know, the genocide of the Native Americans and then, you know, slavery, but also, you know, the war on drugs and, you know, rape and murder and crime and just everything, everything everything. Apparently it is incredibly violent and rough and gory. And also, you know, she's, um, oh, this is so interesting to me. She has sort of structured it around the Mayan calendar. And of course, we are past 2012 now. It, it's it's an older book. So um, the idea was is that like 2012 was sort of a pivot year. And up until then was about, you know, cruelty and greed and destruction and, you know, Eurocentric culture and, and its effects. And like, hopefully there will be a return to more uh, natural traditional ways of living. I think, well, we haven't really gotten there, but it's something to aim for. And the book is also very much about the survival of the earth as well as humanity, like the earth beyond humanity, which is something that I I look for actively um, because this is a question that I think about a lot. And uh, one of the commenters who I I was reading all of the reviews of this to refresh my memory. um, And and one of the commenters was saying about how the earth is the only sympathetic character in the novel. (laughs) So that gives you an idea of like what you're in for. Like, yeah, that. Um, But I I really want to read this book because, you know, like you, I have read a lot of the other doorstopper classics. And this, I think, needs to be in there. And you know, Infinite Just is no walk in the park. Certainly a lot of these other doorstoppers are very violent and heavy and triggering. And so um, so I think that, you know, this should be on that shelf as well and, and with very good reasons. So again, that's Almanac of the Dead by Leslie Marmon Silco. And that's our show. Hey-o. Thank you all so much for listening, as always. Uh, If you are so inclined, or even if you're not, like, leave us a rating and a review on Apple Podcasts. We really appreciate it. It helps other people to find the show. can just be like a sentence, maybe even throw in your favorite rec or something. Good times will be had by all. Uh, Thank you so much to our sponsors for making our episodes possible. And you can find us on social media in between shows. Uh, Amanda, where are you at? I'm on Instagram at I'm Amanda Nelson. And I'm on Twitter as Jen IRL, Jen with two N's IRL. Or you can find me on Instagram as I am Jen IRL. And we will talk to you in two weeks. Happy Thanksgiving. Thanksgiving.